Oh, did you hear Chris what happened Butt- to that actress? She was like attacked and she was stabbed. I did hear about that actress that was attacked and stabbed. Yeah, I know. I forget her name, but she was in. Uh, it was Reese something. She was in Legally Blonde, but yeah, she was stabbed. Wait, this isn't a bit. <laughs> He's trying to sell you on it. <laughs> um, I forget her name. Can I sell you on this, you know, attempted murder that happened? Um, let me look at it. it was I'm Reese. sold. I'll take 10. It was Reese. Uh... Reese Witherspoon? No, she was stabbed with a knife. Not a spoon. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> what a shitty build. That was amazing. <laughs> I loved it. I, I, I quit. Hello and welcome to Horrible Friends. It's a podcast in book club format. This week we have Halloween from 1978. Starting off, I'm Kyle. And I'm Chris. I'm Mike. I'm Dan. I'm Jarvis. And uh, the general flow of this podcast is that we're going to be doing some history about this movie. We're going to talk about the plot. We're going to talk about the cinematography, the special effects, music, soundtrack, and then give you exactly how we feel about it in a not convoluted scale. Dan, what do we have to have about this uh, history of this movie? <laughs> All right. So we're doing um, Halloween. Uh, as Kyle said, it's 1978. Uh, this is by the great John Carpenter. Uh, fun fact, he's not actually a carpenter. That's my joke. I came up with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> he directed uh, movies such as The Thing, Escape from New York, uh, The Fog. There's tons of movies that he's directed i'm sure you've seen at least one of them i've seen one of them i've seen the thing yes all of our listeners would have seen the thing at this point yes i do the thing anyway (laughs) oh did i miss my moment shit (laughs) all right so the producer for this is deborah hill who John Carpenter actually worked a lot with, um, worked on different movies such as uh, The Thing, uh, Escape from New York, and John Carpenter's actually come to uh, saying that um, this is like one of the best people that he's ever worked with. Unfortunately, Deborah Hill has passed away, but she really did help pave the way for women in film um, and actually going as far to say that she wished that there would have been more women uh directing then when before she had passed fun fact uh deborah hill kind of near and dear to our hearts she is from haddonfield new jersey um where a a good deal of this movie is actually not supposed to take place it's kind of an homage uh to her all of us on this podcast are also from new jersey uh that was kind of like an added fun fact that you know made this movie a little um, more special for us so and another fun fact that i i think I think that Chris, Mike, and Kyle know about, and if you know Jarvis, uh, I am about two minutes away from Haddonfield, so I live right next to Haddonfield. Uh, you would have totally been murdered, bro. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm surprised I'm alive right now. Oh, come on. <laughs> I, I, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode is dedicated to the loving memory of Dan, who was murdered by Michael Myers. We love him. We miss him. 
I mean, we, we we could stop this recording to you know help him out, but it's we're just so busy. Yeah, guys, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I could still hear his voice. Uh, yeah, it's like I can hear him as if he's still here. Oh, I miss you, Dan. Who it's who's going to do the plot? It's, <laughs> it's, it's not the it's not the first time I had nine hard inches jammed into me. You know mm. what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, mm. All right. Anyway, uh, budget is um, is about three hundred three hundred twenty. I'm never gonna get I'm never gonna get through this. Mm-mm. I'm gonna make that my ringtone. Uh-huh. <laughs> the budget for this is between three hundred and three hundred twenty-five thousand in 1978, which approximates out to about one point two million to today's standards. And in the box office, uh, they killed, making about seventy million dollars. I got that joke. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, so in 1978, we had some bangers. Uh, we had Jaws 2 came out. We had Piranha. We had Damien the Omen 2. We had, actually, these two are pretty, pretty all right. We had I Spit on Your Grave. And we had Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And that's all I got for our quick recap of this movie so i'm gonna pass that over to jarvis for our plot what you got jarvis all right boys first off can i just say what an honor and a privilege it is uh to be kind of narrating one of i mean let's be real this is one of the most iconic most revered horror movies ever made um yeah definitely yeah i I don't think that's by any stretch of the the imagination like an overstatement so yes, Halloween 1978, the absolute classic. And before we really get into the plot and, you know, the movie itself, like first we got to discuss Laurie, who is played by everyone's favorite, Jamie Lee Curtis. And watching this movie, like, guys, what a babe. What a fucking babe. This was her first movie she was, was ever in as well. I wasn't sure. So it, it definitely was her first, right? Yes, it was. Yeah, she, she had apparently been in like a TV show during this time. Uh, like right before the movie came out, but um, yeah, it's the first movie. Pretty cool. Oh shoot! Uh, nude clock. I forgot. What did we? What did we? We we all had different numbers, but it was about the same. What did we decide on, Jarvis? I, I think we met in the middle. Uh, there was some disparity between our, our times, but they were all pretty close. So we're going to go at five minutes and thirty six seconds, um, and that's where we're going to see our first boob. And the only boob. No, no, not only. No, 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 no. I was thinking of another movie. How dare you? Have some respect, Mike. Have some respect. How dare you forget that other boob? (laughs) (laughs) There was at least one more boob in here. There's two more boobs. Guys. Usually when you see one boob, (laughs) you see two boobs. So, um, but yeah, so Jamie Lee Curtis, this is her first, this is her first movie. This was her big break. Um, She... Obviously, you know, became a very notable star after this. Um, I mean, her most recent ventures, I, I think she one of the last movies she did was that movie Knives Out, which was very good. And and for an older lady, still still an absolute babe. Um, and she does activ- she does Activia commercials now. So we know she's super regular. So that's good. <laughs> you know, it's like she's a, a regular person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, she's only gotten like. She's only gotten cooler and, you know, 
more regular. So anyway, I'm going to skip all that. Um, so let's, let's start with the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, this film opens uh, with this credit scene and just kind of this like uh, jack-o'-lantern that sort of inches closer. And it starts with that absolutely iconic music. Dun, 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 dun. And fun fact uh, for the listeners, this I, my son was asleep on the couch next to me. I know I'm a terrible father. Um, I shouldn't be subjecting him, but <laughs> he was asleep. So I thought it was OK. He was not asleep after this music. This music absolutely woke him up out of a dead sleep and made him cry. So, you know, I, I don't know if for everyone else, but I mean, that still means to me, like to this day, this movie holds true to, to being fucking scary, man. Yeah, I the music is just so impressive. Like it's just such a simple, like little notes and it only moves up. Like, I think it moves up chromatically, like up, down, and then back to the original. And then they just have like that. Wah in the background. It's just so simple, but so effective. It's the only piece of music I can somewhat competently play on a piano. Simplicity. That's all it took. Mm -hmm. And it, it still holds. Uh, still holds so true even to today but so once we get past the music we see on the screen we see halloween night 1963 and what we're getting here is kind of this first person view of sort of this kind of voyeuristic view of someone who is outside of this house uh watching uh, a female and a male figure inside kind of doing this you know cute back and forth of you know my parents aren't home let's go upstairs blah 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 and what we come to know is that this is michael that we're seeing um, as a child, and he's watching his sister and her boyfriend. Um, so he's watching them, and then he goes to the back door, and he comes in, and we see him grab a chef knife out of the kitchen. And we watch as the boyfriend leaves, which it's late, but it wasn't late. In fact, he said earlier it wasn't late, and we should go upstairs. And then, like, two minutes later, he's like, it's late. I gotta go. It's It's not even 10 p.m., but... I mean, he was done what he was there to do. So, you know, zipped up and went out. Yeah. She literally said, call me tomorrow. He's like, yeah, sure. (laughs) He got his two minutes and that's all he needed. That's why he (laughs) wanted to get out of there so fast. I just, I just wanted to know, is this how uh, kids boomed in the sixties? Like he's like throwing on the the clown mask, just like, and she's like, oh, I'm so in the mood. Like. It's, it's, I mean, I'm not kink shaming. I'm just like curious. Yeah, because I don't do that today at all. <laughs> yeah, same. Don't be a hater, Dan. I mean, I all right, fine. All right, I take it back. I put on an old slipknot mask for Jackie half the time, actually. <laughs> I'm sure she loves it. That's why Chris's favorite day is the day after Halloween, so he can get all those discount masks to get him through till the next year. You're damn right. Good Lord. I'm going to move on before I learn way too much about my friends here. Um, so, yeah, so it's, you know, it's not even 10 p.m., but clearly the sister was supposed to be watching Michael to some degree. Um, but uh, and the other thing about this first person view is now we kind of transition and we see Michael put on the clown mask as he makes his way upstairs um, where we see his sister, who is kind of brushing her hair in the mirror. And this is at five minutes and 36 seconds where we get our our nude clock where she turns around and she confronts him. Michael, what are you doing in here? And we see a let's be honest, it was a pretty unconvincing murder scene of Michael killing his sister. Yeah. 
I think I think all the way going up to the room, I really enjoyed it though. It's, you don't you don't get to see a found footage style recording like that, for, um, especially back in the day. But it, it was like you were in the little kid's shoes. It's cool. I liked it. It's very John Carpenter. Um, but the what I noticed was like how very sexual the stabbing was. Like it's a very it's very symbolic, right? Like, did, am I the only one who got that of being penetrated? Well, it's like the brother and like, I, I don't know. It, it felt very Feridian where it's like the brother looking at the sister in a sexual way. And then he like, like stabs her in a way that he's getting off. I, I don't know. The whole thing felt like it was a very like sexual metaphor. Uh, sort of like the beginning of a sexual repression sort of thing you're thinking. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, to me, at least like Michael Myers was never like, sexually motivated because I think the whole big thing with him was that he had no motivation and even in the movie the doctor later says he's pure evil so I think him killing wasn't sexually motivated he just killed to kill yeah that's fair I I don't know if there's anything there I just didn't know if anyone else saw it that way or maybe I just saw it like that so I I know that his age is explained in this scene because later on, you know, once we go into the future, which we'll get to, I know Dr. Loomis says how old he is now. So you can just do the basic math. Um, but I'm, I'm fairly certain he's only like in the seven to nine range here. So I doubt the sexual motivation is there. Uh, there could be something to it later, later in life. I don't know, but you know, let's not close that door completely. But after the killing, we see Michael um, walk down to the front porch where we see a car pull up and we see mom and dad getting out of the car. And that's when we kind of go from that first person view and we see his parents take off his mask. And there's young Michael standing there with the bloodied knife. Yeah. And the scene just kind of goes with him standing there with the knife. And his parents are just like, what did, what did you do? Ah." I I thought the scene was weird, but I was watching it with Tiff and she was like, I think, John Carpenter was trying to do like a still shot of them almost because if you notice, like none of them move when they do that. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. The same thing as well. Because mm. it was awfully a calm reaction. It might have been just shocked. They didn't know what was going on or what happened, but they didn't really freak out too much in the first couple seconds of the interaction. So it was, that was unsettling. Yeah. So the bloody knife, of course. Yeah. I, I don't know if that was just kind of like, sort of a, an ode to the times where, you know, people didn't try to be outwardly emotional. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what he was going for there, but you know, whatever the case. So now uh, we're fast forwarding um, and now we're meeting some new characters. This is where we're going to meet Dr. Loomis and he is driving through Smith's Grove, Illinois, um, Illinois. My wife would kill me if I, if she heard me say Illinois. Um, <laughs> Kyle, can you just cut that part out and uh, play it in the loop and send it to her? Oh yeah, no, I'm just gonna enhance it like a hundred times and just the S Illinois. <laughs> it is a wonder that I haven't been murdered by my wife in the course of this <laughs> podcast. Truly, it is. It's, a, it's an absolute wonder to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're getting here um, in this scene, Doctor Loomis is on his way to the. Uh, mental institution where Michael has been kept. He has been his doctor ever since uh, Michael was put in here as a child, slowly or shortly after his murder of his sister. Um, So he knows all too well what Michael is capable of. 
And he, you can kind of tell in this sort of banter he has between himself and the nurse that's driving the vehicle um, that he is, he is he's very wary of the idea of, of Michael. And that's due mostly to the fact that they are now transferring him to a new hospital. He does not feel good about it. He, he has a bad feeling in his stomach. Um, and I, I think it didn't help that it was like a dark and stormy night. You know, it's that kind of classic like, oh, it's dark and stormy. I don't like this. Well, it always has to be a dark and stormy night because, of course, when you're transferring a, uh, I would say, criminally insane person who's been institutionalized for the last 15 years, you don't want to do it on a nice, clear, sunny day. You just want to wait till the most dark and the most stormy night to get it done. I don't know if that's procedure or... Oh, it's it's, it's (laughs) procedure. How did he escape? I mean, remember... uh... Remember in Con Air, they tried to transport a bunch of different uh, insane criminals during the bright daylight, and that still didn't work out for them. No, Dave Chappelle got thrown out of a plane. And that guy wouldn't have put the bunny down. He should have put the bunny down. How did... How did... um, God, a lovely Con Air reference. How did um, he escape? Like... he just like started crawling around like hills have eyes person. Like I was just like, what is going on? Yeah, they, 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 I mean, it seemed like for some reason they had a bunch of the like patients were just out wandering about. Yeah. And what's this? Uh, the, the the doctor seemed very concerned about that. He was like, oh, this is this is horrible. And I'm like, yeah, it is actually. It's actually very bad. <laughs> and it looks like they've taken over. Uh, the, the whole facility almost or it seemed that way and then as soon as they got out of the car yeah I, I don't know if the back doors are supposed to be locked they weren't I don't, he if he was in the back seat it just he got out then that was all there was right yeah and you know so what we're discussing is you know once they approach the hospital clearly and, and it's not it, it's not extremely legible at first because obviously there there's a lot of rain and, and lightning but you start to see the white figures in the in the distance and you realize that the loonies are loose you know so this is clearly an orchestrated plan from michael because as they're trying to enter the hospital michael jumps on the back of the car scaring away the nurse um i think he actually tries to choke her at one point but he's not going for the murder. He's really just going for the escape. Um, so he enters the car, never having driven a vehicle, by the way. And, you know, he drives away pretty flawlessly. Who taught him how to drive? Right. That's got to be some kind of very unprofessionalism, because I could picture you being orderly in this hospital. you would working around this kid for his whole childhood. And you know what? The day comes out, I'm going to teach this kid how to drive. That's got to be the worst decision you can make. You, you know, I, I think they kind of allude to it in the remakes, the Rob Zombie remakes, you know, with the orderly. I think it was Danny Trejo. Um, but they kind of give it some character development there and some background. Um, but clearly, at some point, he learned to drive and he drives away. So. And now we're zooming to Haddonfield, Illinois, uh, where we're starting to see Lori for the first time. And. Uh, she's speaking to her father about dropping off some keys. And, you know, we get a little we get a little kind of view into her daily life. Um, you know, she's she's carrying her books. She's kind of dutifully doing what her her parents are telling her. Um, we see uh, Tommy, I believe, which is the child that she babysits and they're walking and she's dropping off a pair of keys 
to the Myers residence, which is now a disheveled kind of broken down home in the neighborhood. You can kind of tell it's like the stain on the neighborhood. And we, as the viewers already know, that that is the house that the murder took place in. Even amongst the people in the town, the Myers house is known as like the murder house. And all the kids say, oh, it's a haunted house. So people do know what went on in that house, but they're not really tied as closely to what took place there it's been 15 years and after Lori drops off the key um we see we kind of get like a quick jump scare and we see uh michael's silhouette who is now clearly in the house and he is watching Lori as she walks away this is going to be kind of a reoccurring theme throughout the whole movie is Lori being watched by michael yo michael's I- stepping out like get off my lawn <laughs> <laughs> because he doesn't really have any kind of reason to be after her in particular, I just think it's one of the first people he's seen and he just gets, I guess, an infatuation with her where she's his main target for the rest of the movie. You think so, huh? Mm-hmm. I do. Oh. OK, well, good for you. <laughs> well, well, purists and, and, you know, Halloween fans would know that's not true in in episodes or in, in sequels to come. But but we won't give that away yet. Yeah. So fuck yourself, Mike. <laughs> I guess I am wrong. <laughs> so Michael is uh so I'm sorry, Lori is in school, she's in class, and she looks out the window and notices that Michael is watching her. Again, this is going to happen a lot. And it's made a lot of funny memes, thanks to the internet. The Michael watching memes. Yo, I love these memes so much. <laughs> anyway, um so now school is let out, which is significant. Because uh, school is let out of high school, or I'm sorry, the, the schools are let out simultaneously, and we see the high school students as well as the elementary school students. And this, I think, is kind of to put them on the same timeline, because as we know, Lori is uh, Tommy's babysitter, and Lori's friends are also going to be babysitting at some point during the night, and they're kind of making their plans around uh, the babysitting. <laughs> I did want to say, the, I think the original title to this movie was The Babysitter Murders. Because yes, they are all babysitters. Yes, I forgot about that. God, if only they had a slumber party too. And I forget who it was in production that was like they wanted to base it around Halloween, and then the movie just became Halloween. The name. Hmm. You know, one thing that I noticed up to this point is that whenever Michael's around, the movie really wants you to know that he's there, right? Like as soon as. Like, you don't even have to see him, but the music will just start. And it's like, oh, all right, high anxiety now. Um, like, Michael's got to be around. He's got to be here somewhere. Like, he's he's watching somewhere. And I, I was watching it, and I was, like, cracking up. Because every time it came on, just like you said, Jarvis, it was like one of those memes where he's just watching, yeah. like, behind a tree. And he's watching in a car, driving with a mask on and looking real silly. But, like, if I was watching this for the first time, I'd be like, what the fuck is, does he want? He's not even doing anything. What does he want? Right, yeah. It's, it's only funny now that, you know, t- so much time has passed. But, like, imagine how creepy that would have been in the, in the time. Uh, speaking of that mask, the iconic mask, uh, most of us will, I'm sure, probably already know, but that mask is a casting of William Shatner's face. Uh, they were looking for kind of the iconic mask to, to go along uh, with the movie, and ultimately that's that's what they stumbled upon, and, and it worked. So I, th- I think it was a pretty creepy mask. I think the thing was that the mask was so just 
bland and it was just a bad William Shatner mask that was ambiguous. You couldn't tell it was William Shatner. And that's no, not at all. That's what made the costume designer decide to, like, yeah, this is the mask we're going to use. Oh, that's just, that was the end of the fact that William Shatner killed all those people in the 60s. So, <laughs> <laughs> this is a true fact. Yeah, Iconic. It was a good callback. So now we see uh, Dr. Loomis, who is approaching Haddonfield, Illinois. Um, he is on the side of the road using a payphone. <laughs> Fuck, the 70s, man. Um, and he's calling the local Haddonfield police to kind of warn them that, you know, Michael is coming. He is on his way. Um, so he hangs up frustrated and he notices that there is a car conveniently parked like 30 feet away from him. And it just so happens to be the car that Michael made his escape. Or no, rather, I'm sorry, uh, just uh, another, I, I guess, another passerby. And we see uh, Michael's first confirmed uh, adult kill um, in the weeds near the car. Yeah, and that's where he gets his jumpsuit because he was obviously in his like patient gown um, for most of that. Now he's in his uh, mechanic jumpsuit at this point. So, And that's where uh, Dr. Loomis found the matchbook that the nurse was using in the car to chain smoke all those cigarettes. So that's how he knows it was Michael besides the fact that the uh, hospital gown. Right, right. So... So now we see Lori walking home with her girlfriends. They're making Halloween night plans. They're kind of they're kind of poking fun at Lori for always sort of being the goody goody. Pretty common theme in horror movies. The goody goody is, you know, they talk shit, but who's gonna live? Um, so, uh, and Michael is stalking her not so subtly, pretty much the whole way with the iconic mask. And you know, it's it's one of those she'll see him, she turns away, he's gone. Uh, very well done. Um, and he goes as far as to even like watch her outside of her bedroom. Yeah, it it was really like a nod to Sting when they started playing "I'll Be Watching You" like twenty years <laughs> earlier than when it was actually created. It was it was very impressive. I felt robbed that he did, he wasn't like holding up a boombox. You know. <laughs> Speaking of songs, sorry, this is like a little ahead, but I don't even think that you would have said this because it's so not important but did anyone else notice that don't fear the reaper and write down more cowbell yes <laughs> yeah, i'm glad we're all on the same page 100 i wrote that <laughs> anyway um so and b- before the the scene moves on we also get to see uh laurie's world's smallest fucking twin bed that was a shitty shitty tiny bed what is it with the horror movies that we review in these tiny ass beds? Well, well, most of one, the time, one movie kids. had a good bed. Well, yes, one movie had a great bed. bed. It was the best bed. Mm-hmm. Well, everybody knows if your bed gets too big, it becomes sentient, and you need to feed it, and it's going <laughs> to eat people. No, um, that only happens when a demon cries on the sheets. <laughs> mm. Come on down to, to Jim's bed food. We give food for your bed. <laughs> we love you. We love you. <laughs> Jim's bed food. <laughs> Are you drunk? What you're saying? I I wish I could come with something better. I I died. <laughs> <laughs> the bed got you. This I've is reached, this is why Mike does the shout outs. Well, I yep. have reached out to uh, Jim's Bed and Food Emporium before, and he just does not want to be associated with us. So we'll get him. Don't worry. <laughs> or the bed though. Or the bed way. <laughs> but I think that like the real reason you see all these small beds in these horror movies is because it's mostly teens. And when you're still living in your parents' house and you are a teen, you tend to have a single bed. Is it just because we've grown up that everything just seems small? Is that what it is? No. 
<laughs> okay. Well, now the school's out. Uh, we, we see some movement. Uh, we're kind of switching back and forth between scenes, kind of the two different stories, storylines developing, uh, which is really Laurie and Dr. Loomis at this point. So Dr. Loomis, he, he's kind of trying to follow where he thinks uh, Michael Myers would have gone. Uh, so he starts at the graveyard. And sure enough, um, the headstone for his mother is missing in row 18, plot 20. Judith Myers' headstone is gone. Um, and then we shoot back to Lori, who is smoking a J with her friend. What was her friend's name? Annie, right? And I'm looking at mm-hmm. I think so. I, I think it is Annie. It was Fairly. Annie and Linda, but I think the one you're talking about is Annie. It's definitely Annie. Yep, I'm sorry. Okay. Yep. So definitely so Annie. It was, uh, it was the headstone of his sister. Yes, it was. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yep, you got me. Yep. Yeah. Judith Myers, his sister. You win. Yep, she died um, in Haddonfield, New Jersey. Haddonfield, <laughs> <laughs> Illinois. The cemetery guy was like, he told the story of what was going on. He's like, every town has something like this happen. It's like, no, no, no not every town. <laughs> no. A child, yeah. murder, sister. Only Haddonfield, New Jersey. Also, that caretaker for like the cemetery seemed to not give a single fuck that that like tombstone was gone and ground ripped up. He was just kind of, huh? Yeah, uh-huh. it happens. He was annoyed. He's like these damn kids. Did anyone notice that? Like the the dad, who's a sheriff or a cop, they like hot boxed that car and they just like pulled up to him and he's just like. Well, have a good day, sweetie. I don't have anything important to say to you. He had no idea. He's the world's dumbest cop dad, man. Like, they pull up, they've been hotboxing, they're listening to Fear the Reaper, and he's just like, you girls be careful now. What also also makes him the dumbest cop is uh, when he was at the hardware store, he's like, yeah, somebody stole, you know, mask, rope, a couple knives. There's probably kids. No, that's like the it's like the I'm gonna kill somebody starter kit. It's like yeah. that. It's like that thought experiment where you say what three things you bring to a cashier to make her want to call the police. <laughs> I usually say like donuts, donut holes, and glue. <laughs> Jesus. I usually go with uh, cucumber, paper towels, and lube. That's another good. There are no wrong answers. <laughs> there are no wrong answers. World's come a stop. World's dumbest cop dad. Like I almost said, world's cumest cop. <laughs> that's a that's a different movie. That's a different movie than this one. <laughs> could be arguably a better movie. It's but, a, yeah, it could be. It's Halloween. <laughs> Halloween. Somebody look that up. It's got to be a real thing. Um, but if it's right, not, you're making it. But who's dumber? Like that dad or the girls for not noticing Michael Myers driving in the car behind them for like an hour and a half? Like yeah. not so subtly, in true to form. Like he's just right behind them the whole time. But, they, but they're kind of high. So like I give them the like break. It's his job to know that, especially in the 70s. Come on. Like you got to bust these kids in their pots. My question is, Who's dumber, this guy or or Dewey from uh from Scream? Dewey's not dumb at all. He's just slow. I'm gonna go Dewey. I'm, I'm definitely gonna go Dewey. See, but like nobody notices 
the car driving around the town the whole time because Michael is driving around the town the entire movie. And like there's markings for the asylum he was at on the side of the car. Yes, like, there is. Yeah. It's like, we can't find him. We can't find him. It's like, you just look at the fucking cars. It's marked with the asylum on the side of it. That's how you find them. Literally says state of Illinois for official use only on both sides of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Where could he be? He drives right by the, the hardware store. I mean, we should ask that guy. That's also from the state of Illinois asylum. Maybe he saw Michael. Nah. All right. Now, finally, uh, it is nighttime. It is dark outside. Halloween is starting. And we see uh, Tommy's parents leaving. Lori is uh, watching Tommy at this point. I want to know, where, where do parents, they're, they're dressed in like, you know, very, you know, upstanding citizen sort of sort of clothing. Like, where are they going on Halloween night? I feel like they were alluding to like a classic 70s Halloween orgy. Because they're not dressed to go to a costume party or anything. They're just like in a suit and a dress. Like, who goes to a nice dinner on Halloween? There's something sinister happening. Yes, uh, I think they were going to go to a uh, to an orgy. So let's go with that. Yeah, I think they are going to do the sex. <laughs> so, we, you know, we get we get the kind of classic back and forth between Lori and Tommy. Um, you know, I want to do this. Well, you can do this or, you know, we can carve pumpkins later. Um, simultaneously, we're also seeing Dr. Loomis continuing to sort of retrace Michael's steps or what he thinks would be his steps. He goes to the Myers house where they see a uh, dog carcass uh, that clearly Michael has eaten. Um, Later, uh, he actually kills uh, the girl that Annie is babysitting, Lindsay. Uh, He absolutely kills her dog. So does the dog die.com got its money's worth out of out of this film. Mm hmm. John Carpenter, Stephen King. What's up with these dudes and like killing dogs? I was so sad. Yeah, that was a nice, that was a real slow one. Like that was, you're just like, and then eventually the dog, at least in the thing, it was like, it's a giant creature to shoot in the face kind of thing. But yeah. As soon as I saw the dog, I was like, that dog's not going to live. Michael's definitely going to kill that dog. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, didn't make it. Uh, Lori and Tommy are sitting on the couch uh, watching The Thing, which obviously a John Carpenter classic. Can you imagine just being a director and being able to like hype up your own movies in another movie? <laughs> well, it's funny. A couple years before he made yeah. it, he wanted to like, he was a huge fan of like, the original story of The Thing. And he was always toying with the idea of doing a like remake or reimagining. So he just slipped that in there. He, they made the title screen just for this movie, and that became the title screen for the thing. Oh, okay. So during this, uh, Tommy's looking out the window, and he sees Michael's silhouette, and he starts asking Lori about the boogeyman, which is sort of a, a common theme that's going to be discussed between Lori and Tommy sort of throughout the rest of the film. Uh, Fast-forwarding over to Annie, who is talking on the phone uh, with Paul, her boyfriend, when she is making popcorn for the girl that she is babysitting, Lindsay, the dog at this point is dead and uh, she spills butter on herself. And now she has to go do laundry um, in the separate laundry house. Yeah. So we, we see Michael kind of being a creeper, watching her get undressed. She throws on an old business shirt and goes out to the external laundry house. Um, starts doing the laundry and she somehow gets stuck in a window while trying to investigate uh, some noise. Stepbrother. Step brother. <laughs> I'm so glad everybody 
that because that's exactly what I had for that thing. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> what are you doing, step bro? <laughs> I'm stuck in the dryer. Can you help me? <laughs> it's a very common problem in those documentaries that I watch. Uh-huh. It's always somebody getting stuck, and you know, you gotta you gotta get them out of that situation. Or they don't know how to cook pasta. Yep. I mean, they steal lemons all the time. I mean, it's a real dangerous dangerous place to be. On a side note of the stepbrother incident. Lindsay does not give a fuck about anything. She is like, she's like, Lindsay, can you help me? She's like, uh, no. Uh, Paul's on the phone. <laughs> Hang up on call. <laughs> yeah. uh, Paul, Paul called and he was like, hey, can I, can I talk to her? And she's like, well, she is totally not in this room. And he was like, well, can you tell her? And she's like, eh. <laughs> she's like, I told her, hang up. <laughs> Like to me, Paul didn't even like talk like a person. He was the most monotone, robotic, like mundane, boring voice. That was John Carpenter. Carpenter. <laughs> and John Carpenter has the most monotone, boring. It just didn't sound like it was like a natural sounding conversation at all. Was Paul really John Carpenter? I didn't know that. Yes. Oh shit, that's awesome. Oh, okay. I think he was probably just like, "It's me." Your boyfriend, not the director. Don't fuck this up. We can never work in this town again of Haddonfield, New Jersey. <laughs> Haddonfield, <laughs> Illinois? <laughs> oh, you're oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, easy slip up, my bad. No, nobody, nobody knows. I hate you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so there are fun house kind of scares that I noticed, like, especially around this scene. I mean, throughout the whole movie, like literally any time you see Michael at all, you get that like that sharp, like, Da-da-da! you know, like it's almost like a like a synthesizer, just like quick chord, like. Bah! Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, that was fun. You know, it's it, it's like every time he appears, it's a jump scare, but he appears everywhere. So, yeah, it's always a jump scare constantly. It's always, always a jump scare. So Lindsay and Tommy are consolidated so that Annie can go grab Paul. What a slut. Um, so basically she sticks Lindsay with, uh, Lori so that she can go, you know, go get Paul and they're probably going to bang and, you know, yeah. Lori does this in exchange for like Annie calling off a guy that Lori likes. Like, yeah, there was like some more of that, that character develop development earlier in the film. Not important. No, but, uh, so now what Lori's watching both the kids. Um, so Annie grabs, uh, her keys, gets in her car and, immediately has her throat slit and wait wait uh, wait man i want to say it and is annie gonna die you butter believe it Do you feel good about that on her no you know i wrote that in my notes and i forgot i wrote it and when i got to it i like cracked up inside. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I could just picture you just like seeing in your notes and just like saying yeah i remember writing that i can't wait to get to it they all gonna <laughs> I, laugh and laugh yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I had that, and then I was like, "No, none of them are gonna laugh, but I'm gonna crack up." So, uh, that's totally all I have to it. say about that. Yep, that's it. Okay, I'm done. Yeah. I just wanted to like, jump back into that last scene. To me, what I noticed first was she goes out to the car and it's locked. She goes back in the house, gets the keys, and when she goes back to open the door, it's open. It's unlocked. Yeah, I thought and that was when, that was good use. Yeah, 
Michael's in the back, and I didn't see him stab her. He strangled her. Uh, he stabs her, like, I think at the end of it. Like, he's choking her for a okay. while, and then I think he, like, does a little quick stab. And then she falls, yeah. like, her face onto the window. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There's definitely blood. So after all this happens, though, Tommy looks out the window, and he witnesses uh, Michael carrying Annie into the house. And he's, like, freaked the fuck out. But now we see uh, so a familiar character and a new character, um, Linda, who is one of Lori's girlfriends. Uh, she's the most annoying one. You'll know her because she just says totally every every like fourth word. Totally. Totally. Um, and she's with her boyfriend, Bob, who pulls up in his pedo van. And they, dis- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they discuss. Such, he Dude, he was such a creep. OK, so this next scene, I, I rarely use the word uncomfortable, but. Me and my wife watched this, and we paused it, and we were like, did you fucking hear that? Um, it was about the ripping the kids' clothes off, right? Fucking thank you, dude. Yeah. N- never noticed See, this I didn't before. catch that part. I didn't catch it. Uh, so, yeah, so I'll, I'll re- really quickly. So um, he pulls up in his van, and they start discussing, like, you know, that, that they're talking about they're going to they're gonna go in this house and fuck. This is Annie's house, by the way, and they're going to or the, the house that she's babysitting and uh, they're going to fuck. They're going to be ripping each other's clothes off. And then Bob says, he's like, all right, you're going to rip my clothes off and then I'm going to rip your clothes off. And then we're both going to rip Lindsay's clothes off. And they both laugh. And she's like, totally. And we were just like, that is fucking gross, dude. Yeah. That's super I, weird. I, I did not catch that part. I'm super uncomfortable. I mean, so no, if- no adult should drive a van unless a, you use it to like, transport things for work or, or you're part of a uh, mystery team with a talking dog who likes Scooby snacks and weed. You shouldn't own a van. <laughs> my dad had a van with shag carpeting. And my dad is like the most like white bread, one dimensional guy in the world. And I, <laughs> I he, mean, had, <laughs> he had an Afro and a pet van with shag carpeting. And that's my <laughs> favorite fact about my dad. Your dad fucks. <laughs> thank you kyle <laughs> i'm i'm going to go gargle some bleach i'm gonna leave you the rest of this podcast to narrate this episode is brought to you by jarvis's dad he fucks oh jarvis's dad. <laughs> we love you jarvis's dad he fucks he will love you <laughs> No, no, I want to no. die. I want to die so bad right now. Like I. Anyway. 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 So, god damn it. Oh, okay, I'm centered. I'm fine. My dad doesn't fuck. Back to work. Okay, so so Bob, Bob and Linda, they go into the house. No one home. Again, this is Lindsay's parents' house, the house that Annie is supposed to be watching. And they, I guess they've kind of agreed that they're going to hang out, drink some beers, whatever. So no one is home. Uh, but that doesn't stop Bob and Linda because they go right in. They start making out and throwing beers all over the floor because <laughs> they're the fucking worst. It was at this point I started to think, like, Michael Myers, you're, I think you're the hero of this story, like the unsung hero, because these people needed to get stabbed. They did. Like, in a bad way. And then, so they go upstairs, and they go into Lindsay's parents' room, their bedroom. They start banging. There's a jack-o'-lantern on the side table. What do they call those? Side tables? Yeah, nightstand. Nightstands, thank you. There's a jack-o'-lantern on the nightstand, which, like, you have to be pretty committed to Halloween to have, like, a lit jack-o'-lantern next to your bed at all times. I've got some friends who are who do listen to this podcast, and, yeah, they are that committed. <laughs> That's awesome. We love you. But... 
unsurprisingly, uh, Bob comes in like 15 seconds because he's the worst. And which was totally awesome, I'm sure, for Linda. And Linda has the audacity to ask Bob if he only says, yeah, because she's like, hey, do you want a beer? He's like, yeah. And she's like, is that all you say is yeah? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, bitch, totally. How about you totally go grab that beer? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, um, so the tables turn and she basically makes Bob go get the beer. So Bob, I I think he's walking around like mostly. He he throws on like a T-shirt and some underwear. And he goes downstairs and he goes through their uh, goes through their fridge and he grabs some beers and he turns to the closet. And this is where horror history ensues. And this is back to my dad. This is his like his absolute favorite horror scene ever. We uh, we see Michael grab Bob by the by the neck. He lifts him up with one arm and with the other arm, you see the knife and with one Fluid motion just stabs the knife right through Bob's midsection, and you see toes dangling, and they they struggle and they stop. You see pure fear for a second right before he dies, and then Michael Myers just kind of like tilts his head and like stares at him inquisitively, and it's oh, it's such a good scene. Yeah, I liked it a lot too because just the, the shadow in the background and the dark kitchen and just the. The, the contemplation kind of on Michael's face when he just like, looking at what he just did. It was just really cool. And uh, I think he was also just amazed at what he did because that knife through that man's midsection into the wall and holding him up. And uh, what does Bob say before he goes to get the beers? He says, I'll be right back. And as Randy taught us, Ooh. It's right. <laughs> hey, uh, it was R.I.P. Uh, R.I.P. Bob. Wait, what are you guys talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, don't worry. Oh, that's okay. okay. You weren't there for that episode. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. (laughs) So, uh, Michael being a true hunter kind of uses all of his kill. He doesn't need him or anything, but he does use his glasses in a pretty creative way because he goes upstairs draped in a sheet with the eyes cut out and uses Bob's glasses to make... Uh, Linda think that it is in fact Bob under the sheet and that he's playing a joke. And then we get uh, the the famous uh, see anything you like scene out of Linda and she shows us her boobies. By the way, I think this this is one of the first pair of boobs I ever saw. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Like this movie's special, guys. Yeah, that that scene, he was so playful. I you you don't get to see like serious killers be just kind of like, yeah, let's just have fun with this. I'll be a big spooky ghost. (laughs) I don't think spooky ghost. You could be a spooky ghost and at the same time wear glasses. It seems like out of character for him, right? Like it was kind of like, ooh, this would you know, it'd be funny. Let me make her think that I'm I'm up because I'm a spooky ghost. Like, oh, yeah, spooky. Michael's usually kind of straight into the point, like, hey, bitch, I'm going to walk real slow and I'm going to stab you right in the heart. Uh, as actually, um, so she, she's frustrated because uh, what she perceives as Bob is not doing anything when she shows us her boobies. So she actually just calls Lori and she's trying to figure out, you know, what they're going to do tonight. Where is everyone? So she calls Lori. And just as Lori picks up the phone, that's when Michael Myers begins to grab her in a chokehold and Linda is killed. And Lori hears some of it and thinks it's a prank call and hangs up. No, she thought uh, she was having sex. Oh, right. Right, right, right. Yeah, because every time she called beforehand, she was like chewing on chips and just being kind of ridiculous with the phone. But yeah. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, so at this point, uh, Dr. Loomis, who's been in town for like at least, what do you say, like six hours, he finally recognizes the car that says State of Illinois for official use only about like three blocks from where he was like the majority of this time. Yeah, he's been for like at least three hours. Dr. My ass. Really? I didn't understand the dynamic between the sheriff and the psychiatrist. He's just like walking around like, I'm a psychiatrist, damn it. Listen to me. <laughs> well, I'm the sheriff, damn it. Listen to me. It, yeah, you're right. It, there was like this weird, this weird kind of like, you're right. It, it was just a strange dynamic, but it was fun. And I guess it just kind of lends to the character of like this cop being really dumb. It is a buddy cop movie. I would definitely watch though. <laughs> I would watch No that. question. No question. I call, I call it Doofus and Loomis. Doofus and Loomis. I'm writing that down for future t-shirt ideas. Doofus and Loomis. Anyway, so the kids are asleep, um, and Lori goes to investigate where Annie and Linda are, because she hasn't really heard from them. And, you know, the lights are off. She's trying to figure things out. So, and this is kind of the big reveal scene. So she goes into the house, and slowly but surely, one by one, um, she's, she knows now that Annie... Linda and Bob have been murdered and their bodies have now been staged. Annie is lying in bed uh, with the his sister's gravestone on top of the bed. And the others are staged and, you know, we get a few jump scares. Bob is Bob. His body falls from like the uh, the top of the closet. He was suspended up there, um, which was pretty cool. Like kind of another late 70s, early 80s, you know, who, like who has time to suspend the bodies? You know, just the way the body was hung, it felt like very Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's how right, yeah. Motherface hung a lot of bodies. Mm-hmm. I at this point, I was questioning his motives. I, I think Michael is just a squatter and he just kind of took over the house and was defending it. And he was hanging decorations. And I, I think it's <laughs> actually just like a nice motive at this point. He's just trying to get into the holiday spirit. That's really all it is. Are we saying that had we not known the history of Michael Myers, that we could have more more appropriately associate his character with like Kevin McAllister, like the Kevin yes. McAllister Halloween? Yes, absolutely. And and he's he's just trying to save the environment. Those plastic skeletons are very bad because they just sit in landfills when you're done. And they, he was like, I'll just use uh, my own uh, USDA organic skeleton after it <laughs> gets you off know, this body. <laughs> these organic skeletons, they last forever. <laughs> you know, not to skip ahead too much, but when that person falls down the steps, um, I definitely got that Kevin McAllister feel to it. I was like, oh, this is the one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, let, let's let's. Skip right there, because as she's walking out of the room screaming, uh, Lori, this is Lori, by the way, um, now that she sees all of her friends dead, we see Michael Myers. He comes out and he sort of slashes her arm with the knife. And that's when we get that fall down the stairs. And this is where we start to get our classic Michael Myers slow walk. Lori gets into Tommy's house um, after like banging, banging on the door like, Tommy, Tommy, wake up. And that was like the big... That was like the big build-up scare because Michael Myers, he is not a fast gentleman. He might be. He definitely was able to climb up the car in the beginning really easily, but he just chooses not to. He like, you know, he kind of preserves the cardio, I guess. Oh, she was like banging on a lot of doors in like that little area neighborhood and just nobody was acknowledging her. They were just like looking out the window, saw her out then just shut the lights off, drew the curtains in. So just like a good neighbor, if you ignore the problem, it just goes away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's how I live. <laughs> yeah, I guess our times were not so different between then and now. <laughs> but 
So finally, Lori gets into Tommy's house. She tells the kids to go back, back upstairs, lock all the doors. And I think it's at this point that like Michael, like gets into the house, I think through a, through like a window and she manages to stab him with a crocheting needle. Yeah, he went down fast. He went down like a sack of potatoes. So now she, she thinks she's killed him. She goes upstairs. She goes up there to reassure the children everything's okay. You know, we get more like, was that the boogeyman sort of monologue? And then coming up the stairs, much to their dismay, Michael Myers is back. He is not dead, not by a long shot. And this is where we start the infamous closet scene. So Lori rushes the kids into the room, tells them to lock the door. She goes into a neighboring room and she locks herself in the closet ties uh like some pantyhose or like a something around the around the inside handles and just hides in there so dr loomis at this point is also patrolling because he's you know he's trying to find michael at this point he knows he's in the area he knows he's close this is where michael uh you know she he finds her in the he finds her in the closet he starts trying to break open the doors so Lori, very smartly by the way uh she starts she takes a uh clothes hanger starts unraveling it and she manages as michael is like just absolutely decimating this door uh she manages to get the clothes hanger into his eye he drops the knife that he intends to kill her with she picks it up and stabs him in the chest and she like stands over him like she has the knife like just finish the job dude like just saw his fucking head off double tap gotta go double tap right yeah nope she just threw the knife away again and that's the classic mistake is oh, he's fine. I'm sure he's dead. I don't need to you know check, make sure he's dead or just double down, stab him a couple more times. Just nah, he's fine. He's dead. Got to do the double tap. So she grabs uh, Lindsay and Tommy and she's like, hey, get out of here. Go get help. Go, 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 go now. So the kids are sent away. They run out of the they run out of the house screaming. This alerts Dr. Loomis. And this is where we see Lori, who is trying to just sort of catch her breath, sort of, you know, catch her bearings. And we see Michael Myers sit up slowly in the background. And, Undertaker uh, he, style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude, real slowly. Yeah, I mean, you, you never turn your back on the bad guy because he's always he's always not going to be dead. And uh, yeah, that's just the dumbest move you can make. So, yep, he he uh, attacks her from behind. He starts choking her. She, en- she ends up uh, being able to work his mask off. So we actually do see Michael Myers' face. And now that Dr. Loomis is alerted by the kids, he rushes into the house at this point as Michael puts his mask back on and he goes for the kill on Lori. And Loomis shoots him in the chest six times. We see the impact of each bullet and he falls from the window onto the floor below. And that's where we get the classic line from Lori to Dr. Loomis where she asks, was that the boogeyman? And he says very coldly, very calmly, as a matter of fact, it was. And then they look over uh, outside the window. They look down. Michael Myers is gone. And this is where the movie kind of fades out to that classic music. And you hear Michael's breathing and then the credits. I mean, how great of a movie was that? Very good. It's probably one of the most iconic horror movies. And one of the better ones of the genre of just like, I wouldn't slasher. Like, 70s just horror movies yeah I, I really enjoyed it it was it was a ton of fun um like i said uh it's a little slow in the middle but the beginning the end it it very much worth it so absolutely and laurie is your classical like virginal figure uh like their friends are like they do drugs they drink they have sex and yeah they're all gonna die because they do those things 
but Laura is pure. She's innocent. And she's the only one that has the strength and awareness to survive. Yeah. Um, with that, thank you, Jarvis. If you're done with the plot, I think uh, if we have a, a shout out, I think this is where it should go. Yes, we do have a shout out this week. Staying with the theme of Halloween. I was contacted by uh, Spooky Steve. He's opening up a Halloween warehouse. And uh, this week, we're proud to announce the grand opening of Spooky Steve's Halloween Warehouse. Spooky Steve is your one and only Halloween destination. It has everything you ever need for the horrifying Halloween holiday. From decorations to costume to any variety of candy you can think of, Spooky Steve has got your holiday covered. You mentioned horrible friends who get yourself a 10% discount, so that's pretty good. You'll be part of the fun when the doors open for the first time at the big grand opening party on November 1st. Spooky Steve's Halloween Warehouse. We love you. Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so if we're going to jump right into it, let's go ahead and do uh, cinematography. I mentioned it earlier. I really liked the beginning opening scene. That was pretty awesome. Again, that, that John Carpenter uh cinematography in this thing is fantastic uh i think they did a really good job overall yeah totally agree it it has a lot of the carpenter feel to it with like the long shots um just like extending um extending the shots how how else can i say long shots um (laughs) um it, it really does have like that carpenter feel to it with like high anxiety um so, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think cinematography wise, it was great. Yeah, to me, I, I like the use of the shadows, especially in that kitchen scene we talked about. It felt like gritty. It might just be just because of the feel of the movie. It was voyeuristic because you lot from Michael's point of view when he's creeping on Laurie and the other characters in the movie. So I just really like how the movie was shot and how it was done. Yeah, 100% agree. I think. I know. I, I think, or, uh, you know, I've heard that like a lot of it was due in part to like kind of a limited budget. I have a hard time believing that like, you know, the, the basically what equates to the $1 million budget mm. gave them like, you know, the need to necessitate like less camera angles that ended up working better. Yeah, I agree. I, we, we talked about that before, which was, you know, what, what exactly are you getting with like a million bucks? Really? It, it seems like a high number, but uh, I mean, it sure i guess shows that that's got to be like the bare minimum effectively like it's this is a good yeah, movie yeah. a million bucks seems to we, we like oh it's got it's nothing because the especially movies nowadays are 100 200 million dollars just for like a, a simpler movie quote unquote um so yeah uh, it's cool i i think they did a, a good job and and the cinema cinematography was not uh, at fault here so i think the next portion of this you can talk a little bit about the uh, sound and music uh i i think that's probably like 80 percent of this movie is just the sound and the the score coming in that michael myers having his own like i wouldn't call it a theme song but his own like music that you knew his presence was around his presence was looming it makes it much more effective as a viewer because you're just waiting for something to happen once you start hearing that music you know it's about to go wrong for somebody and yeah, just having that, it was always, a, like I said, it was a looming threat that you were just waiting to happen. It's totally WWE intro music, man. It's like, hey, there's Michael Myers with a knife. <laughs> like, it's, it's so good. And it works so well. Like, I, like it, it literally scares my child. Yeah, which that's wild. <laughs> it made so my heart. 
have any problems with that later down the road. <laughs> Dude, bad, bad dad quote, but like it made my heart so happy. <laughs> like, <laughs> it really did. Because I can't wait to watch these movies with my kids. And, you know, I, I don't want them to be too cool for them. I want them to be like absolutely scared shitless like I was. So it, it, it did my heart good to see that. Well, like 10 years from now, the movie's going to start and you're just going to hear that opening music again and your kid's just going to start shaking and you're like, what? <laughs> uh, one, one thing to build off of what you guys said, like I was basically thinking exactly the same thing what, uh, what you guys all said. Um, but just to build on that, there was actually one part at the end where I noticed that they used the song and they've conditioned us up until this point to like know that if we hear that music michael's coming like wwe theme uh, theme entrance music but uh they actually didn't show him at that part so all that they did was create like a high anxiety moment and i i thought that, that was done so well by conditioning us throughout the entire movie to fear that song yeah and like we said before it, it's super simple it's not terribly difficult but yeah it became iconic in itself but yeah it was i think it was also just alluding that end of the movie but he's still there keep an eye out mm-hmm. if we're done with the music and everything then uh special effects uh it wasn't too crazy i don't think they used a lot uh just some blood packets here and there it wasn't anything wild unless somebody has something else for that i think no i i think most of the effects were were very practical um but i i mean like sort of affixing bob to the wall with the uh the knife to the sternum mm-hmm. You know, yeah, not not like a crazy, it's not like a car crash or anything amazing, you know, in terms of effects, but they were very practical. They were very subtle effects. Subtlety was used really well in the movie. You know, the music, it is subtle. It is not complex. It is simple and it gets right to the point. Um, and it was very much the same for the visuals as well as the special effects. What special effects were used? You know, coat hangers to the eye and such. So, yeah, uh, good points. And with that, I think it's about time for us to talk about our spoopy meter. Uh, Dan, what is our scale this week? Well, I heard that you guys like convoluted. So I came up with a convoluted scale, uh, which oh, I never boy. did. So Son this week bitch. in particular, this week you came up with a convoluted scale. Yeah, I, <laughs> I know. I don't usually do that, but I heard you guys talking about it and I really wanted to do that for you guys. So um, I'm so excited. How many does anyone know how many movies there are in the Halloween series? Are you you counting remakes? Yeah, just all of them. All all the movies that have come out. Say 13? Do we count Halloween 3? Yes. (laughs) I I, I don't know. In total, in total, there are 11 movies. So, how many many movies would you give this between 1 and 11? Or 0 and 11, I suppose. Uh, that wasn't as convoluted. I, I know. Thought, I've, been, I've had way worse. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, yeah, there was 11 and they each cost uh, $2 million a piece. And of Damn, that $2 that million. Dollars, really <laughs> now we divide that by the movies that were favorited in the franchise. Oh, mm-hmm. You guys are giving me ideas for the next one. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll just toss mine out there. Um, of 11, I. Spoopy. I, I wasn't. I think what Jarvis had said earlier, this movie did scare me as a kid. I, I don't remember watching it a whole bunch, but probably because I wanted it out of my memory. Uh, if I was a 
if, if I was younger, I, I definitely would say it's up there. It's in the, you know, the nines, the tens or, or whatever. Uh, nowadays, uh, it was it got a little boring in the middle and then came back and it was just kind of it was great to see some action finally at the end. Um, but I, I did enjoy myself. So uh, today's listing, I'd probably give it like a, a three just because it, it's he's haunting just overall. Uh, and then my overall is that I I like this. It was like a good like seven or eight out of 11. Yeah. So I'm going to try to go back to it. Like, you know, try to go back to my childhood. As I said, I think this should be one of the first movies that you watch. You kind of familiarize yourself with the genre because it's so classic, so iconic. I know we say it a lot, but it's true. It really is. And there are, you know, 11 movies made as a result of this because it is so good. Um, And it scared the shit out of me as a kid. So, uh, you know, trying to put myself back in in that space, even the parts in the middle that aren't as captivating, you know, built a lot of suspense. Well, you know, maybe we're maybe we're a little uh, jaded because we're adults. And the fact that that girl was stuck in the window kind of took our minds a different place than it would have. When we were kids. Um, but it built suspense well throughout. And I was trying to put myself in the mindset. So in terms of spoop, man, I'll go like a six or seven out of 11. And my overall, I'm going to go a nine just because like it brought back so many fun memories of my family. And, you know, this time of year, Halloween. Uh, so, yeah, great film. Anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, which there can't be many, but make sure you pass it on to the next generation. I'm going to go the kind of the same round of both of you. When I was a kid. This movie did scare the shit out of me. And I loved it. And even now, like watching it now, God, X amount of years later, definitely wasn't as scared as I was as a kid, but I still enjoyed the movie overall. And like Kyle said, like the middle part's kind of slow at those points. I was kind of just found myself kind of drifting off, not really paying attention. But the end is where it picks back up and it's so much more entertaining. Um, the same spoopy level, I'd probably give it five or six. Overall, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with like an eight and a half. Still one of my favorite movies and so iconic and it's so important to the genre. Yeah, I think I agree with everybody here. Uh, Spoopy wise from a different viewpoint, seeing it again at an older age, uh, it wasn't overly scary. It was just creepy because Michael, he just looms in the background and he stalks. Laurie for most of the movie, and you don't really get his motive in this movie. I was pointed out I was wrong. So in this movie, you don't get his motive. But uh, yeah, he's just a very scary figure to have around chasing you. Overall, I love this movie. I would give it like nine or 10 out of 11. It's probably one of the most iconic horror movies in history and one of John Carpenter's best. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of echo everyone else. Um, so I actually never saw this as a kid. I only saw this when I got older. But if I was a kid and I watched this, I would have been terrified. Now, uh, I I was scared of everything when I was a kid. To be fair, I was scared of Ernest, scared stupid. So um, if I was a kid and I was watching this, this would have been an eleven out of eleven. This probably would have been like a fifty, and I would have never slept again. But seeing it as an adult. Um, I'd probably give it like seven, six out of 11. It's, it's still scary, but it just, it's just doesn't hold up as heavy as it 
would to someone who's younger. Um, overall, uh, the movie, what negatives can you say about this movie outside of the creepy uh, pedophiles uh talk and the um stepbrother talk uh which isn't even negative that's hilarious um uh what can you say negative about this i mean it's influenced so many it's john carpenter it's deborah hill deborah hill and john carpenter work to um like push female leads in this movie like we didn't have to watch uh women be used as like props in this movie and men weren't either really uh like the movie just stands on its own with these great act actors um you get someone ominous like mike michael myers uh who's influenced so many other slashers uh to the very end where we have like like jars and kyle were saying uh, the Jamie crying, the psychiatrist standing there contemplating, Michael's gone, and we just crescendo the breathing and then fade to black. And it's just an amazing movie. Um, I'm giving it a 10, 10.5 out of 11. The, the movie's fantastic. If you haven't seen it, then you are get, doing yourself a discredit. Yeah, I think one of the other things like interesting about Michael Myers was uh, even like later on, he becomes like a spy. He outsmarts uh, Dr. Evil. He winds up saving <laughs> the world. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Michael Myers is a very wide uh, career. <laughs> oh my God. He might, ju- might just give up. He hosts his own TV show <laughs> called Wayne's World. It's great. Um, I, by the way, I meant to say disservice, not discredit, but I was dumb and I'm sorry. That's all I have to say. No, I, what movie was it? Uh, was it Baby Driver? I think it was where he's like, oh, get a bunch of masks, get Michael Myers masks, and they're expecting them to come. They got to come <laughs> yes, back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Halloween Magic comes back with Michael Myers masks. <laughs> yeah, that that was a. Uh, I kept on trying to explain. I was uh, to my girlfriend. I was like, Michael Myers does this thing. She's like. It, isn't that the Shrek guy? And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah, not wrong. Not right, but not wrong. <laughs> I feel like that would be a scarier movie. Just Shrek slowly creeping up on you. With oh, life. I'm into it. You know? like Get Michael out Myers. of the swamp! <laughs> <laughs> or shirtless Austin Powers coming towards you, rubbing that chest hair. I'm into it. Are we saying terrifying or alluring? Mm. Now I'm confused. Oh, I thought I thought we had changed the subject to arousing. My bad. Okay. <laughs> do I make you horny, baby? <laughs> yeah, do I? Did uh? Did everybody get all their thoughts out? I, I think so, and and then some. Okay. <laughs> Great. Great. Um. I was like, can I just wrap this, please? Let me thank these people. Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, thank I mean, all the, of our... I just want to remind everybody that the budget of this movie was $1 million. God damn it. God damn it. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> let's go ahead and just round this thing out. Uh, I want to thank... Uh, I want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, you know, get in contact with us. We're on all the social medias. We're trying to be a little more active there. So uh, say hi. Give us movies to listen to and, and 
uh, talk and do stuff with. Uh, I also want to thank Connor McLeod. Uh, he does all of our or did our uh, podcast art. I want to thank uh, Andrew Cavanaugh. He does our intro and outro music. And uh, you can find all that information in our uh, podcast description and the episode description. So come hang out with us again next week. And yeah, Chris, you got something to, to say to the lovely folks. Thanks for stopping by and having a horrible time. <laughs>